Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that for this one episode has a completely different intro narrative because I left my Terra Drive at the hotel and had to re-download a ton of sound clips and music to make this episode happen. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventures, welcome to episode 98 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. This is King Scott. Why so glum? You sound down. Uh, Origins is over, and I'm still kind of like uh, having that Origins hang over here. <laughs> and that's some good acting, because we're recording pre-Origins. Dude, we've got exactly. a lot of recording. <laughs> we've got a lot of editing to do over the next week. I'm going to be like taking the computer with me, because we got to get in a side quest while we're there. This is like the last hurrah before the magic of Origins. Man, I'm getting excited. The idea of seeing all these posts on Facebook about who's going to be there, who's meeting up where, who's going to be doing what it is just so exciting to do this it's just going to be fun all around just seeing everyone and seeing a whole face so that'd be nice (laughs) i can't stick my tongue out of people anymore without them (laughs) not noticing well i guess by the time that you're listening to this adventures origins was what like four or five days ago if my math is yeah, right. So, like that. man, we had a blast. What a good time we had. I, I think we'll probably be covering some of those things on our side quest during. Yeah, this is all this timey wimey wibbly wobbly yeah, stuff. Yeah, the side here quest with, already happened. Yeah, yeah, this is so <laughs> crazy. But yeah, I'm sure we'll have an actual wrap up here coming up sometime soon. All right, Scott, first thing in the news we got to talk about that, you know what, every now and then we'll do an episode and we'll finish recording and then literally the next day something newsworthy comes out and I'm like, I know. Oh, go figure. <laughs> well, <laughs> this one, the big headline, Disney card game gets sued for allegedly copying Rivals design. You know what's going on here? I mean, I know that Upper Deck, they did the Marvel Versus game, they did the Legendary games, all those different things like that. I could see them possibly having some ideas what they're doing with things, but I don't know what's all in the nooks and crannies of this lawsuit or anything, or if they've even pursued a lawsuit or anything yet. Well, as it turns out, they have a a Lorcan. One of the co-designers is Ryan Miller, who previously worked uh, on an as-of-yet unreleased game for Upper Deck. It's called Rush of Ikor, or Ikor, I-K-O-R-R. It's not actually released. It's not out there. But mm-hmm. he's employed by, at the time, employed by Upper Deck. And oftentimes, whenever you work for a company like this, it's not like uh, contractor work where, okay – you know, you produce something and maybe we'll use it, maybe we won't, or we're going to hire you and we want you to do this and, and there it is, it's done. No, he worked under their umbrella and part of their deal was like, anything you do here is ours. Okay, so like I work at a bank. If I talk to some people, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, you should come and you should open a checking account at our bank. You should bank with us. They don't bank with me. If I leave the bank I'm at and I go to a different one, yeah, I can talk to them, but technically I'm not supposed to use like my knowledge of their funds and their accounts to try and lure them to where I work now. I did all that for my current bank, which apparently they're saying, you know, you work for Upper Deck. There's too many similarities between Russia Vicor, which you basically made for us. It's our property. Mm-hmm. Too many similarities in Disney's Lorcana. It's like, oh, okay. So that there's this old deal that most gamer gamers know. You can't copyright board game mechanics. Right, like uh, worker placement. You can't say, that's mine. That's my idea. No one else can use it. Can't copyright it. Mm -hmm. What you can do, though, is an entire game. You can say, you know what? That was ours. You produced that while working here. That's our property. 
and you guys just put an IP on it, slapped it on there. That's about yeah. as far into the depth that I've gone with this. I, I don't know much beyond that, but it sounds sounds interesting. That's uh, that's quite an allegation. Yeah. Because I know there was a lot of uh, anticipation of this game coming out for the Disney collectors. Everyone was really hyped for this. Now, and it's kind of giving it a little bit of a speed bump and slowed down the uh, pump the brakes here, if you will. I am not pumping my brakes. You know what? I, I think I think that the hype for this game, right? Okay. If it was called, if they had this, this game coming out and it was called Rush of Ikor, no one would care. If Robinsberger right. was doing it, it was Rush of Ikor. If it was called like Clash Through Time, no one would care. They care because they got Disney license on it. And that's what yeah. got people. This game could be terrible, but people, you know, you say, hey, Disney CCG. Mm, yeah, you caught my attention. Definitely. Most definitely. Getting in the way back machine here. I, I look at some of the reviews we've done way, way back in like episode three. We did Eschaton as our uh, main game there. We did for 8-bit breakdown. Mm-hmm. And now that I see that Iconoclasm is coming to Kickstarter for Eschaton. Now, I remember whenever we were playing Eschaton, this was one that I had no clue what it was about. And I looked at it, and it was not exactly the brightest box, not exactly the happiest topic to play a game about. Mm -hmm. But my God, did we have a good time with that game there. So, I mean, it's been kind of quiet, and uh, it's just been sitting there percolating for a few years. I cannot wait to see what they come out with this. They don't have anything much listed right now. So if anything, that's just building up the anticipation of what they could add to this because it, it truly was. This was definitely a hidden gem. Yeah, fun one. And they've got Iconoclasm coming out. Uh, kind of, I don't know if it's coming to Kickstarter or GameFound, but Iconoclasm has been announced. Looks like co-op. Looks like it's a, a means of making the game co-op, which I think would be interesting. I've, hmm. I'm still happy to get Eschaton to the table. Big fan and uh, very curious about that. Scott, we got Planet Unknown. Speaking of games that uh, that we haven't played in a while that we really oh, like. but we've already played that one. Oh, Planet Unknown's got the Supermoon expansion coming out. Yeah. Which, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and he, first of all, they've got a reprint coming. So it's coming back to GameFound. This is going to be on GameFound. Uh, it's been a very hard to get a copy of game so you know i do the ordering for the for the shop for brett and i was like you guys got to get this planet unknown game this was back in like november so i had them order a couple copies in they come i got a copy for us showed it off the meetup got a copy and picked up their other copy for someone else um Nick, you can't find them anywhere. They can't. They can't order them. <laughs> Reprint is coming, folks. So you'll be able to get a hold of Planet Unknown. They also have the Super Moon expansion. Which, whenever I hear about that, I think of American Dad. And when the one character was a plastic surgeon, he's like, "No one ever watched the Super Boob." Your breasts are fine. It would be unethical for me to recommend anything larger. But may I suggest? A third breast. I don't think... Okay, how about two in the back? Or I can combine these two into one fantastic super boob. Can I just get a little Botox? No one ever wants the super boob. (laughs) 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 Nevertheless, it is coming back to GameFound. Planet Unknown, you'll be able to get a hold of a copy here pretty soon. What else you got, Scott? Our friends over at Thunderworks, they always have these 
interesting little games coming up. They have their own little world they build up with lockup, role player. Then they threw in cartographers to make things really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, now then they're coming out with a new one called Stone Spine Architects. And once again, whenever Thunderworks comes out with something, I'm usually sucked into it. So what they say on this is it's a card drafting game for one to five players where you compete to construct the most dangerous labyrinth. All right, okay, I like number it. Number one. Like it. Sounds cool. So players simultaneously draft and play cards to expand their dungeons one chamber at a time. You follow a unique blueprint and a variety of scoring challenges. Choose between mapping a path through your underground passages, placing key elements in your rooms, or searching for extra treasure. I'm so in. this sounds like one of those... Um, what is it? Trading spaces things or whatever they have from the DIY network or whatever, or HGTV. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's let's make a labyrinth with dungeons. Oh, my God. That just sounds adorable. Jordy Aiden, who was involved with cartographers. I mean, he knocked it out of the park with that one. And I look forward to what they do with this one here. Because every time I know with uh, Lockdown, it was one of those games that didn't get the love that it should have. But it was one of those games that really shined whenever you played it. So anything that comes from Thunderworks, I'm always excited to see what they do. Yeah, I'm imagining that you're drafting the cards and the cards are dungeon rooms and you're placing them, they said, you know, according to a blueprint. So kind of like how in role player, how you have like various spots that you need to see certain dice laid out. I'm guessing that it's going to be similar, only you're creating a dungeon. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm with you though. It's, it's Thunderworks. You know, I like Keith. You know what? Last week we probably talked to him or in the case of real time next week, we will talk to him and <laughs> learn a little bit more. There aren't many pictures up, but uh, definitely one to look out for. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Well, I backed a game. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's news, right? Pat, back to game. Stalker. Well, S-T-A-L-K-E-R with a period after each digit. Stalker comes from Awaken Realms. Uh, same designer that did ISS Vanguard, which is kind of weird because I backed that. I got it back in October. We're coming up on a year now, Scott. I haven't played it. i actually been messaging Andrew, uh, Archmage Andrew, and he's like, hey, have you played your copy yet? No. Well, I have a copy. Why don't we try and play it simultaneously? And like, I'll play, you play. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Well, he's been playing and I haven't opened mine yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've opened it. I've cracked the plastic and I looked at it. It was one of those, look at the rules, look at all the components. It's like, nope. Uh, And I'm kind of hooked on BGA at the, you know, know, things come and go, right? Things ebb and flow. I don't spend my entire life focusing on board games. And and at some point when I get back to uh, tabletop solo gaming, ISS Vanguard will be the first one. But nevertheless, Stalker caught my eye. We got a one to four player, fully cooperative, story-based zone crawler. It's set in an alternative version of Chernobyl Loop. The Chernobyl Nuclear Plant Exclusion Zone, full of anomalies, relics, mutants, emissions, and dark secrets. Choose your asymmetric stalker, customize your gear, and prepare for exploration. Remember, every bullet costs you money. Every mission's going to offer a different approach, either sneak in or go in guns blazing. Uh, Both systems are integrated seamlessly into what they call a highly tactical experience that will leave you on the edge of your seat. I like the theme. I like the minis. I love Awakened Realms. They haven't missed yet for me. I don't know if I love the designer because I have not played ISS Vanguard yet. But man, <laughs> I am, I'm sucked in. You know what else goes with these Awakened Realms? There's a factor here. Adventures, think of this, right? This is not a cheap Kickstarter. But ever since Nemesis, pretty much every Awakened Realms game after it's come out, you could sell it for more money than it actually costs on the Kickstarter. Not that I'm saying, like, go in there and scalp these things. No, because anyone, <laughs> anyone can do it. 
let's pause right there. Little rant. No one is scalping. You see all the time, oh, it's the Kickstarter scalpers. Scalper is when there is a limited supply and people buy up the limited supply, thus altering the whole supply and demand and profiting based on it. This is Kickstarter. Everyone can get one. Everyone can get one. <laughs> there is no scalping. Point is, if you open it and you play it and you don't love it, you could probably sell it and get your money back, maybe even make a little bit. So, stalker, I'm a backer. Well, my finger hovered over my mouse there for a few moments there on that one. Oh, yeah? I'm like, uh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna hold off on that. Well, we'll get to play it together. Just like that ISS Vanguard. <laughs> We're the worst podcast hosts. We don't even play games. <laughs> <laughs> well, one game I'm anxious to play right. is from uh, Stone Sword, their Senjutsu. Mm-hmm. Now, we got the notices that things are going to be starting to ship out soon, looking like July, August, maybe. Okay. But the really cool thing is they made a deal with Lucky Duck Games as their distributor for this game in the United States. So that thing's so going to be flying out now. That is going to be awesome. I know that there's probably things that I wanted to get in this Kickstarter whenever it first started out. It's been a while for it to get here. I'm really stoked about getting it. It'll be great to be able to have an ability to get those items there. Mm-hmm. You know what? I kind of have it in mind that like, uh, you know, I've already spent the money on the game. So I got the game in like maybe one of the add-on boxes, but I have mm-hmm. long since forgotten about that money that I spent. So when it comes in, if I want to get like three more add-ons and drop 40 bucks, it's like, oh, well, I've only spent 40 on this game. <laughs> exactly. I don't remember the first bit. What does I see about Omicron Protocol? This is happening, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is happening. So this one happened uh, last week, and we had a great time, and we we cleaned up against trounced the gamer Will Brown. Absolutely trounced him. Oh, oh, in Bernie Lynn, I mean, we destroyed them at Omicron Protocol. So uh, we. we <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I'm going to get beat whenever we find out the, what actually happens in when we go to the future. Thursday night at Origins, we're going to be at the Game Toppers booth at 8 o'clock, and we played Omicron Protocol. You and Will were playing against each other, and Bernie and I were, pl- were playing against no, each other. No, no, other. no. It's you and me against Bernie and Will. Oh, Will made it sound like it was just going to be you playing him and me playing Bernie. No, no. What he said was it's basically going to be Scott versus Bernie because Will and I are going to kind of sit off to the side and drink <laughs> make fun. <laughs> oh, jeez. And here I am. I'm like panicking and everything here. Oh, okay, okay. But no, no, no. I'm I'm all excited about this. This will be a great time for people to come over, say hi, check out the game, Omicron Protocol. Really fantastic game. It, it's great revisiting it once again and remembering how great of a, of a setup it is with this game. It's mm-hmm. really very, very cool. Also getting a chance to check out the Game Toppers there as well, too, because I was there all week with Berkey and the crew there. So really looking forward to talking about how we won. Yes, yes, and we will win. You, you got to <laughs> hold down the fort for level up. Scott, my thumbs hurt and my fingers hurt. Everything Uh-oh. hurts on my finger pads on account of assembling miniatures. I, oh. Yeah, I've become a plastic crack guy lately. Uh, and it's all on account of <laughs> Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein 3D, the board game. I picked it up because I got a, I got a really, I got a really good deal on it. But you know what? I got it because I was like, man, this is going to be perfect for PGX, the retro gaming convention. 
Mm-hmm. Here's a bunch of people that grew up on Wolfenstein, Doom, Nintendo. And if we have one of our demos be Wolfenstein, that is oh. – I feel like that's going to suck people in. So I got the 3D terrain. I got it all. Dude, I assembled – I assembled 86 miniatures. If I don't see another sprue for like a month or <laughs> a year, that oh, eight, yeah, 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 rub it in. To me, that's a lot. <laughs> My life to this point, I've assembled three miniatures and now I'm up to 90 in the last three days. Dude, it took a while. If you're, if you're looking at Wolfenstein and you don't get the pre-assembled version, like most of their versions are not pre-assembled because that costs a lot mm. more via Kickstarter. Holy smokes, it must have – I mean, it was it was days, not like every hour every day, but, you know, giving it a couple hours a day, it took days to get them all put together. But they are put together. You know, everything's ready to rock and uh, I just got a, a lot of painting to do. I think I'm going to try and paint them. You know, if, if we're going to do this and make it look good, we're going to make it look real good. Okay. I mean, hey, if you have a certain section of them you want me to paint, hand them over and I'll get to painting as well too. Oh, well, thank you. Okay, well, hey, why don't we talk about some of the games we just played recently? All right, let me kick it off this time. I'm going to lead off with, uh, we had a little game day at my brother's house. I went up there with Mike, and uh, you know what, I tell this, I I set this stage often, so long-time listeners are going to know. We play at the cabin in the middle of nowhere. It is like cabin in the woods where we're at. Well, you know what, that's not true. There's there's a train track. (laughs) It runs close enough by that, boy, you can tell when the train is going by. But that's it. That is it. That's Um, the only... Hmm? Um, excuse me, yep. uh, that nowhere is the same town where I live. Case in point, no one lives out there. <laughs> anyway. Dude, there's a population of like nine people in Blairsville. It's wonderful. Uh, so we went out there and uh, and Mike and I, we Mike took the, the longest, right? He's, it was, uh, I can't even talk. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> Mike usually brings cigars, right? We enjoy a nice cigar, you know, throughout the day. It's like a 10-hour day out there. We're, we're going to have fun with it. So Mike's like, yeah, it's no problem. I'll pick you up. I do have to make a stop. I have the kids. So he picks me up. He comes 20 minutes from his house to my house. Now he's like, okay, we got to mm-hmm. go to the cigar shop. He proceeds to go back to his house. Not like to okay. his actual domicile, but like the same street because there's the cigar shop. And I'm like, what are you doing? And mind you, his house is not on the way to Brennan's. It's in the reverse. It's in the wrong direction. The ro- So, oh my goodness. He picks me up at 1030. It's 11 o'clock. We told Brendan we'd be over on 1130. It's 11 o'clock and we're next to Mike's house. We're now further away from Brendan's than we were to begin with. He gets his cigars and he's like, you know what? Let me stop and get a coffee. So he stops, cheats, fills up the gas, gets coffee. His kid, well, his kid had an accident, which, you know, small children happen to do from time to time. So, okay, another mm-hmm. hold up. He's like, I got to drop them off at my mother-in-law's. That's on the way to Brendan's. Don't worry. Let me tell you what, it is not on the way to Brennan's. You got to go through Latrobe and it's on the opposite side, not the Blairsville side of Latrobe. It's on the opposite. <laughs> we got to Brennan's around one. I was like, dude, you picked me up two hours ago. I could have walked to Brennan's in this amount of time. This is absurd. Nevertheless, we got there and a couple games that we had the chance to play were Terracotta Army and Wonderland's War. And I'm going to bring these up together because we've talked about both on this show. Yes. I'll lead with uh, with Wonderland's War because that's how we started. I got to play the Mad Hatter who gets to stay in the tea party. So this game's mm-hmm. broken into two phases. Uh, a few rounds, two phases each. First, your tea party. You got all these cards going around the, the table that emulates where the Mad Hatter had his tea party. And you go around basically drafting cards. Everybody's figure, your, your main character, will start at the head of the table. And you go 
sit in a chair and you take the card that is in front of that chair. The next person's up, they pick a chair, etc. And you go around getting four cards each. And those cards are going to develop your bag with which you're battling each other. They're going to give you more meeples on the different locations on the board where you're fighting for control until everybody's got their four. Then you move on to a battle phase, which is pulling tokens out of the bag. Uh, not a whole lot to report as far as like, you know, the, the big wow moment, but man, that game is good. I'm going to start painting those minis. Absolutely loved it. It was hit with Mike and Brendan. I wanted to bring this up because we then played Terracotta Army, much more of a Euro style game. This has the, uh, it's got this rotating wheel from which you're going to be selecting mm-hmm. your resources. You're trying to build the Terracotta Army in this graph off to the right. And on that graph, as you place little army pieces, you put a little marker under it to show, hey, that one's got the green marker that belongs to the green player. You're scoring points based on where those inspectors are at at the end of each round. We left Brennan's house, and I'm chatting with Mike in the car on the way back, and I was like, so what'd you think? Wonderland's War, Terracotta Army, aren't, aren't those great? He's like, yeah. You know what? If I had to pick, I think Terracotta Army's better. I was like, what? Ooh. I couldn't believe Because, you know, I like Wonderland's War better. I thought Wonderland's War was absolutely phenomenal, but uh, I just wanted to bring it up. I was I was surprised. Now, I love Terracotta Army. I think it's a, a great game, and it was really validating to hear Mike, who I respect as a gamer, say, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was fantastic. But a great, great game day that was maybe a little sullied by the fact that it took two hours to go 20 minutes down the road. There, I'll lead off simple. I'll give you the floor. Okay. I was, I'm back to work here quite a bit, running around and everything. I'm finally off for a couple weeks. We were in Allentown and mm-hmm. I brought a bunch of card games with me. Well, one of the card games I decided to pull out to play with my non-gamer friends and co-workers was Rhino Hero. Now, Rhino Hero is a bit of an old one. It's 2011, published by Haba, designed by Scott Frisco and Stephen Stumpf. So... Imagine if you put Barrel of Monkeys together with Uno, together with an alternate way to play Jenga. That's what you get when you get Rhino Hero. So So you're stacking crap? Yes, you are. So (laughs) players each start the game with five roof cards. Okay. So you have roof cards. And they take turns adding walls and roofs to a single building. On a turn, you first place walls on the highest floor, then you choose a roof card in your hand and place it on the wall. Mm -hmm. Each roof card bears markings that indicate where the next player must place walls on the card. In addition, some roof cards force a player to perform special actions. So this is where you get the Uno bit. It could be where it reverses the order of the turn. So you could be going clockwise, play a card, and guess what? It's going back the other way. You could skip another player's turn. You could do something where you are able to put down two of your cards. Or the ultra tough one is you have to move the Rhino Hero or Super Rhino, as some of them call them. Okay. And this is a little wooden rhinoceros with a cape. So what you do is whenever you lay down one of the roof tiles that have a little rhinoceros on it, you have to take the rhinoceros from wherever it is and place it on that new roof. So this is a... This almost turns into be more of a dexterity game than anything else. Sure, sure. Because it sounds you're like carefully it. picking it up and placing it on the roof. Now it's going to be like inside some walls. They are cards that are basically folded in half, so it will give you a base to put the roof cards on top of. So this is fine whenever you get the first three, four levels. 
They can get to five and six. <laughs> and then in our case, it got to the point where they had to stand on chairs in order to get to the top. Oh, of it. man. But it's something that is a lot of fun, brings up a lot of laughs and everything while you're playing it. It was a great time to revisit it. I got this at the first Origins I went to, actually. Oh, really? It had been just hiding out in my game closet here. And I found it, and I was like, ah, I'm going to take it with me and see if they want to play it. They did. We had a great time playing this. This is a fun one. You can play with kids, but it really is a lot of fun whenever you play it with people your own age, adults or anything like that. Same skill level. You don't have to like keep yourself in check. Yeah, exactly. So you just get silly, have fun. And let me tell you, it's even more fun whenever someone has a little bit too much wine to drink. (laughs) Uh, That was not me. That was not me. The one person that did have wine, yes, she knocked over the building. (laughs) Of course. Of course. (laughs) But Rhino Hero, it was an absolute delight to play it again. And it's not that expensive. If you see a copy of it someplace, pick it up. You're going to have a great time with your family playing this game. Let me just point out, you can find this used on the BGG Marketplace for five bucks. Oh, and it's worth every bit of those five bucks. If you're terrible at making eye contact and struggle with facial expressions, but enjoy board game content with a twist, well, my friend, history and game is for you. Has your history of habitually historical gaming ever harnessed history from your historical games? Well, each episode of History and Game serves a sleek concoction of historical events, board games, and subjectivity into a lively and often witty short-form podcast. You can check it out at historyandgamepodcast.com. How about that? A little commercial from our own Archmage, Andrew. He has his own podcast, History and Game, which I'm a subscriber. I download that every time it comes out. And you know what? It's like it's like a deeper version of the clips that he's done for us. I, I always joke with him. I'm like, dude, we need like a five to eight minute clip. And he'll send me an 18 <laughs> minute clip. And I'm like, I can't cut any of this. It's all so good. So we're going to get back to shorter clips from Andrew. And it'll be like the abbreviated version of what he has on History and Game. So I want to keep getting that name out there because man that's that's some great stuff yeah i miss hearing andrew with his tidbits of history with those things it's a lot of fun i know we're trying to get our schedules worked out to have them on and do an 8-bit breakdown with uh, a, a really cool game that we'll talk about sometime in the future sometime but, hey good to hear from andrew again then so that's awesome All right, let's do one more recent play. I've got uh, Trekking Through History, a 2022 game from Underdog Games designed by Charlie Bink, who I feel like that was the name of the cat in uh, Hocus Hocus Pocus. No, that was Uh, Zach. I never saw Hocus Pocus, so I don't know. Oh, my Lord. Stop the show. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm proud of that. Please repeat that. How have you never seen Hocus Pocus? Uh, I have standards. Uh, But anyway, please continue. All right. Charlie Bink also designed uh, Trekking the World and Trekking the National Park. So if you have some familiarity with those, you're going to have an idea of what you're getting into here. We've got a two to four player game that plays in about 45 minutes, and it goes a little something like this. Premise of the game. The theme is that you're taking a three-day tour throughout human history via a time machine. (laughs) (laughs) You take a a three-day tour throughout human history via a time machine. (laughs) 
You know what? We're done with movies. Gameplay's for three rounds, each representing each day of travel. Functionally, uh, how's this happening? Well, you've got a few main mechanisms at play in the game. First, each player's going to select an itinerary card for the round, which is simply four columns, each with some number of spaces that fill with resources as you acquire them, potentially scoring you points. This is your, here's what you're trying to do during the round. These are the colors of cards you want. It's like your why for the round. Next, each player's got a little stopwatch token that goes on the clockboard. It just shows whose turn it is. That is, farthest back gets to go next. Got that whole mechanic. You take a card worth four, you got to bump up four. The next person can take Mm. a card worth one, and a card worth one, and a card worth two before it's your turn again, right? The important thing is these come in a market of six cards, uh, and each one has their own numbers. So that's something to keep an eye on, a little game going on there. In selecting the card, you get some resource tokens with which you'll fill out your itinerary card. Right? See what's going on now? Okay, yeah. So, basically, you just learned the main mechanisms of trekking through history. What's going to make it a bit more gamey? A few things, actually. Like, when you select a card, it has to be of a higher year than the most recent card in your trek. Like, your stack of cards that represents, like, this time, like, trekking through history. Okay, so, like, the one day. Each round is a day. If I start with, uh, I don't know, 2200 BC and I finish with 2023... I'm not done okay. with the day. I'm just done with that trek. So you can take multiple treks in a round, right? But you are incentivized to get a larger trek. So what if I did that and I took the you know, that old card and then a 2023? Well, I just pick my next card. It starts a new trek. You can have multiples. I like that because it, it has you weighing the option of taking a really juicy card that's got a really high year on it, but gives you a ton of resources versus an early year card that doesn't give you quite as much, but it's going to be easier to select higher cards than. It's a fun balance. And I should point out that at the end of the game, you're going to score points based on the size of your treks. If you have a whole bunch of treks that are like two or three cards, you're not going to get a lot of points. Where you have mm-hmm. one trek that's you know eight cards, you're going to get a boatload, right? Components. Let's start here. we got a game trays insert. Removable okay. token tray. All of your tokens that you're going to be getting, they're in a removable tray. You just set them on the board like you did with, uh, what was the game we played? Parks. You just set it out. There you go. Dog Park had it too. You've got good chunky resources, a neoprene mat, and get this, it's all in retail. The retail copy has it. You got these nice big tarot-sized cards, unique art, a full paragraph on the back of each card, which teaches you a little bit uh, about the event that can be found on the front. What do I like about this game? I like that it's a game that I can play with casual gamers, and they're not going to have any problem understanding how to play. I like that you've got some interesting decisions with that market of cards in that you have to balance the year of the card, the tokens that they provide, uh, try and figure out how to maximize your points with them. There's a good bit of game in that resource management, and I think that's going to keep your more gamer-gamer types interested. Perhaps a so-so comment before I get to didn't like, we'll say one of the medium comments, uh, is that the player interaction here is pretty minimal, Basically, okay. you might have your eye on a card that someone might snatch before you do. But, you know, mm-hmm. what? some folks prefer that. What don't I like? I, not much. I mean, it's well-produced. It's a well-refined game. And for what it's trying to do, it does it very well. But if I had to identify something, there are a couple of factors. It might keep this one on your shelf and off your table. First, it's not very deep. You're not buying this for your weekly Euro gaming group because there's just not enough meat on the bones for that gamer group. In fact, I think to a seasoned gamer, some of the decisions might come off as uh, overly simple or maybe obvious, right? Mm -hmm. Second, I thought that the game lacked that big climactic moment. You're not going to have this turn where like, oh, this chains into that and triggers into this and look what I did. Like When we play Obsession, 
and you activate the French garden and you get to, I'm selecting these six mm-hmm. and I get to draw these two and it bumps me up this much rep and I collect this much coin and I buy that monument. None of that's here. It's taking the card, getting the resources, kind of like a drip fed. You're not going to have your Dimos down moment from terraforming Mars or the unloading all your bullets mm, from yep. Nemesis. You get where I'm going with that. Again, uh, it might just be a preference thing for me, but I'd like to have a little bit more working towards a big thing and have that satisfying moment when it all works out. Uh, that said, final synopsis, trekking through history, a game where uh, you're going around the table, moving your stopwatch, collecting cards, building these treks and scoring points according to your itinerary and according to the size of your treks at the end of the game. I think it's going to be fantastic for a more casual group, for families, folks that play with their parents, or maybe... Maybe even in an educational setting. Mm. I do think, though, that for a more hardcore gaming group, it might lack some of the, uh, the we'll say, the, the brilliant gaming moment that, that you might be looking for when you sit down at the table. So that's my thoughts on trekking through history. I might not be, I haven't have seen these boxes. With my uh, trip coming up to the Badlands, I might have to pick up trekking the uh, national parks. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's probably yeah. That's one of that's uh, the second one I believe that he did, and I would imagine it's probably the same quality as far as components go. And Scott, I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, for a retail game, the stopwatches. It's not a cardboard token. I don't think that you have to punch out any cardboard. Don't quote me. Yeah, I don't think there's a chit in this game. They're all plastic pieces. It's very well produced. Yeah, so I think I might have to check that one out there, and that might have to go in my suitcase on the way out to South Dakota. Hello adventurers and welcome to another episode of Lost Loot where we look at any and all games below 1000 on Board Game Geek. It has been a while, been a busy little beaver I have, but I'm here to bring you some different kind of content today. I, you know, I've been doing Lost Loot for an extremely long time now. I guess extremely long is not very accurate, but I've been doing it for a long time now and I've collected quite an amass of games under my belt. From things that are direct silly to maybe things that are maybe more popular, I have been there and afar trying to find you games that you may have missed. Now, something about Lost Loot is that I don't think it should remain lost. So today, I'm actually going to revisit a couple of the Lost Loot that I've done before and give you the top three Lost Loot that I still recommend. These are the games that I've played over the last maybe couple years and have tried to bring to you that I think are the best of the best. So, without further ado, I give you my top three favorite Lost Loot. Coming at number three is Echidna Shuffle, a small little kid's game about adorable little kidnas trying to root around and find bugs to bring back their logs. This game I played at Tantrum Con and was included in the Tantrum Con special of Lost Loot. And I gotta say, this game is absolutely adorable. The gameplay is very simple. You roll a dice, move a bunch of echidnas around the board, and try to get your echidnas to land on different areas of the board that have your color to match your bugs. Once you get your bugs, you bring them back to your matching color locks, and the first one to do it three times wins. This I talked about, and I told you that this was going to be ignored because it's not from a big publisher, and, you know, it's a rolling move. Well, I'm bringing it back as my number three because I still play this game to this day. I played a lot at work when I worked at the game store, and I've pitched this many times and sold this game to many people. It has just a fantastic table presence. The rules are super easy to teach, and it feels good to play. Parents and kids would love this game, and it's a role move that I can get behind because once you roll once, you have the number already for the next turn set and ready to go, so things balance out really well. That is Echidna Shuffle. Coming in number two is Bushido. 
Bushido from Gray Fox Games, this is a two-player dueling game where players roll dice and play cards in order to be the last one standing in a duel to the death. Now, I mentioned this one being kind of lost because no one had really ever heard of it, and I haven't even really heard of it until I went to Origins one year and picked it up. In this game, you are drafting cards from a center river in order to create a hand to fight your opponent through the remainder of the game. These moves and cards consist of five cards from different schools, and they vary in ability. Once you have your hand of five cards, you'll play them on every turn or switch your position using a little dial in order to roll dice and try to attack but also defend against your opponent's slashes. Now, this game has a very interesting back and forth that really feels like a duel. This is why I love this game so much. There's not I play a lot of two-player dueling games, and this one I feel represents the, a duel the best because it can either go for 20 minutes... Or it can go for five minutes, depending on how you play your cards and the luck of the dice. Now, like I've always said, the luck of the dice is not your thing. Don't even worry about it. This game, there's there's some swinginess to this game for sure. But the card play and the way you manipulate your dice is very interesting. Lots of the decisions matter in how you line up your your luck. It's a very tactical and very decision heavy game, despite there being lots of luck of the dice roll. The card play and the way you're able to charge up your moves with rage and things like that really make for a pleasant and also engaging experience. Also thematic. That's one of the big things I liked about this game is that it was super thematic. And I could visually and viscerally see the duel happening in front of my eyes. But that is Bushido at number two for Gray Fox Games. The last one on my list I want to mention is my favorite game, not only of Lost Loot, but my favorite game full stop of all time, and that is the RPG Alice is Missing. I recently actually had an opportunity to play this again for the fifth or sixth time. I can't remember at this point. I love this game so much. This game is incredible. It is beautiful. It is awe-inspiring. It is, in my opinion, the perfect RPG. In Alice is Missing, you play friends of Alice Briarwood, who lives in the town of Silent Falls, and she... Oh, she's gone missing. No one knows where she is. You play as her friends texting back and forth, trying to solve this mystery over the course of 90 minutes. In these 90 minutes, at certain times, players will look at cue cards that help give you prompts to progress the storyline and draw from different decks that contain suspects and locations that may be linked to where Alice has been going. Players had different motivations and secrets to help drive their character, and over the course of the game, these will be revealed in order to create a... What I can only describe to be a unique, unforgettable story. This game is just like, I I just lose words describing it. It is, I see, I overuse the word beautiful a lot, but it's beautiful. This is an absolutely gorgeous game, both a production standpoint and a gameplay standpoint. The mechanics of this game are simple enough that anyone can sit down, but the story and the drive behind this it just gives me chills thinking about it. This this is if you are not an RPG person, this is a perfect RPG for you. It does contain heavy subject matter and it can go really dark in some instances. But I believe everyone who plays this game walks away a little bit differently. I've not had a single time I've played this where people just say, eh, it was okay. They're always <laughs> they're they're shooketh for lack of a better term. Their their core is rocked because of the experience they just had collected together without saying a single word. If you have a chance, I keep trying to get... I, I need to get Patrick and Scott and Andrew and Will and Ryan to play this game with me. Because holy cow, it is the greatest game ever made. Currently, right now, in my opinion. And that's why it sits on my number one for Lost Loot. Well, that's it for me today. 
adventurers, I'm going to be attempting to bring more and more lost loot to you as I hopefully have more time to play more and more games. But just remember, when you're thinking about games that you've played, games that you've maybe ignored, look into your heart of hearts and find the small game that you had a really good time with, but maybe it was overshadowed by some big release. You never know when you might find some lost loot. Great to check in on Explorer Josh. He's telling us his top three. We got Echidna Shuffle, Bushido, and Alice is Missing, which he's still talking about getting us to play. I haven't played it yet. I'm really curious. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm glad that he tells us these things because these are games like he does. I mean, The Lost Loot. You don't know about him, and it's nice to hear these games that he's looked into. Now that I'm, hey, his top three, I'm interested in giving them a try here. So hopefully whenever, well, did we play one of these games when we were at Origins last week, but the week ahead <laughs> from whenever we're recording this? You know, uh, uh, coincidentally, last year at Origins, my wife and daughter were there on Sunday and I spent, mm -hmm. I made like a lap with them through the vendor hall and we definitely played some Echidna Shuffle. The designer showed us how to play and, and teaching us like, okay, now here's the routes that the Echidnas move on. It is a very clever game. I, I was enamored with that. Chris was, she was basically letting Sarah do the shop. She's like, what do you think, Sarah? Do you want to go for this one? And in my brain, I'm like, come on, Peanut, come on, Peanut. She's like, mm, <laughs> no, because she's seven, you know, she's She's not, yeah. you know, I, I, if it was puppies moving along those tracks, you'd have been like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to make puppy shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Josh. Yes, absolutely, Josh. Thanks so much. He sounds a little out of tune this week. Yeah, it's got a, Scott, it is the exact same clip copy paste from episode from episode one. <laughs> Dude, seriously, this is this is theater of the mind. Jeez. We gave them a little peek behind the level up curtain today. Scott, let's talk top 100. Starting with Prime Movers, Heat Pedal to the Metal is up two to number 81, and Frost Haven up two to number 88. Top 10 trends. Last time we spoke, Dune Imperium took the nine spot. Well, now mm -hmm. it took the eight spot off of War of yes. the Rings second edition, which falls to nine. New highest peaks. Dune Imperium, of course, at 8. Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy at 21. I distinctly recall mentioning like two years ago when they came out, I was like, this thing, I could see this hitting top yeah. 10, and I'm still rooting for it. Pandemic Legacy, Season 0, number 49. That's uh, that's our weekly check-in with Pandemic Legacy moving up one. Yep. <laughs> Sleeping Gods is up to 55. Kanban EV at 56. Grand Austria Hotel, there's another, uh, we'll say another yeah. Old Faithful, up to uh, 68. And of course, he pedaled the metal at 81, Frosthaven at 88. Happy birthdays! Sleeping Gods, one year on the chart. Paladins of the West Kingdom, three years that's been on there. Maracaibo, which I can't believe, I cannot believe we never actually did a feature review of Maracaibo because we played the heck out of that thing with Jason. Yeah, you're right. And for seven years, Mombasa. I hope he uh, goes back and tunes up his trumpet now. <laughs> Well, Scott, you got the game from WizKids. I'm going to make you do the walkthrough of today's review game, Dungeons & Dragons, Trials of Tempest. Hey, adventurers. Today, we're looking at Dungeons & Dragons, Trials of Tempest from WizKids. In Trials of Tempest, you will assemble a team to complete the trials and achieve victory over your rivals. To begin, well, you must assemble your team. 
You do this by selecting groups of cards. First, your basic attributes. This will give you an idea how smart, how nimble, or how deadly you will be. Next, what class will you be? Fighter, paladin, magician? You have eight choices. Next, get your cards to play the character you want to be. Finally, each class has a subclass. Will it be the lore of life or the lore of death? You get to choose. The board is set up as a 30 by 30 inch square. You next select three quests that you will try to complete to get more points than your opponents. Could be stealing their flag or even getting the final killing blow on the most monsters. Once the board is set and you have placed the quest markers and roaming groups of monsters, you're ready to go. Place your teams on opposite sides of the board and begin your adventure. Each turn, you will roll for initiative. Along the side of the board is a tracker for you to place your marker as to how fast or slow you'll be reacting to things. Next, you'll be drawing an event. Good or bad, it's happening. This will be rolling for initiative as well. The monsters on the board always activate on a 10. Now it's your turn. Move, attack, what will you do? Your basic attributes will show you how far you can move. Will you charge in and attack? Or will you let your stealthy abilities get you to where you need to with no interactions? The game continues until one team gets 10 points. But wait, this is when it happens. The big bad will make themselves known. Now, will we be victorious in the trials of Tempest? Well, let's get back to Patrick and find out. Rival parties of heroic adventurers battle to prove their worth and mettle in the ever-changing battle realms of Tempest, god of war. Choose your hero wisely. For the skills and allies you need to conquer each trial are never the same, and the guardian that awaits you at the end will surely test the limits of your bravery. Or is it your cunning? The trial will tell. Hey, thank you, Scott, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Dungeons & Dragons Trials of Tempest. Adventures, as you know, we like to do the 8-bit breakdown. We're going to look at eight facets of this game, concluding with was it fun and who's it for? So this is a bit of a first impression. We just got this one in generously from WizKids Adventures. We were provided this game. So, you know, if you think that uh, disqualifies all of our opinions on it, and we're just going to shower it with praise, well, f*** you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, this is going to be a bit of a... <laughs> You didn't even read the the flavor thing here. No, I'm going to do that on my own. I'll do that differently. Yeah, okay. I'll do that. On okay, okay. Take four. Yeah. So this is going to be a bit of a first impressions as uh, we've only got the game in about a week ago. Scott, they sent us the deluxe version. I understand you're going to have two different copies that you can get. the non And they did this with like Assault of the Giants and a couple of the other board games where you can get the regular version or you can get the mega deluxe version, which is what mm -hmm. they sent you. We were provided yes, this yes. one. Uh, we didn't have to pay for it. So if that, uh, if that sullies your opinion of our review, be aware we were provided this game. We're going to do our best to have uh, you know what my integrity goes out the window when we get something for free <laughs> i actually looked at this and i've got some uh, some thoughts on this if so anything, let's get into it here. if anything i feel like i throw more daggers at games that were provided 
because I'm like, well, you know, I need to show that that we're I need to show that we have honor. So I get more nitpicky with the stuff that were that was given to us for for review. <laughs> What's so funny? I'm sorry. You- <laughs> You can't get over me using using a bad word. Oh, no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Let's get on with it then. Bit number one, the art and components. Scott, I'm going to let you lead each of these. What you got? All right. So, art and components. There are a ton of components here. A ton. Now, the heroes, there's eight. The minor minions, there's 12. The major baddies and the ogre prince, there's four. That's 24 individual miniatures right there. Mm-hmm. And each one of them is completely different. Adding in the cards, the loot, the events, the life counters, the advanced minions, their cardboard tokens, the dice, and a huge playing board, a 30 by 30 board you can put together. There is a lot to whet your appetite in this box. Oh, yeah. The art is great. I especially love the loot cards. They really did a beautiful job of having the artwork really match what the items were on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The event cards were great because you would have little tokens you would put out random locations. And that I'll get into a little bit later. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that the uh, the artwork and the components were over the top in this game. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of them. You mentioned eight heroes, and each one gets uh, gets their their main cards. So you're gonna like, okay, I'll I'll use myself as an example. I played as what was I the cleric? I was a cleric, so I had yes. three cards that represent like what I can do in any given turn. And then I had my deck of starting cards, and then I had my level up cards, and those were picked from two different. I could be school of life or school of death. Right? Is that what they call school of life or school of poison? Yes, I believe so. Yes. They do that with every single hero. All right. So there are plenty of options, but that means plenty of cards to work with. You get your own mini, you get it on that big board. You know what I really thought was a great idea? Two things. One, the items. When an item appears on the board, and you mentioned you'll get into how it does so, you get a token that's not just like, here's where there's a mystery token. No, that that ridiculous sword that appeared in like round two, <laughs> that soul-sucking sword, it had a token with the sword on it and the name on it. So we could put it down on the board and we knew what was there. I like that. And even more, those rings. So you caught me on fire. Uh, spoiler alert, yes. Scott burned the hell out of me in this game. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that you cast like a fire spell and I, I had burn, which is like a, sta- a state-based effect, a status effect, he would burn me and I'd get, say, a, a burn ring. Instead of like, here, Pat, here's a token that says you're burned. It's a ring and it looks like fire and it goes around your mini and sits at the base. And if you hit me with it again, another one would go down. And I like that the way that it resolves. Beginning of each of your turns, you take a damage and remove one of the rings. That's cool. It emulates that you're still burning, but more so the actual means of interacting with the component the piece it's an easy way to remind yourself oh that's right i'm on fire <laughs> i can mm-hmm, tell yep. because i have a ring of fire around me. <laughs> oh this person is rooted they can't move how can you tell there's a ring that looks like roots going around the base yep. of their miniature i thought that was pretty clear your wall of fire did the same thing it's a wall it's a i mean this is cardboard like a long piece of cardboard but it's a mm-hmm. wall of fire i like that yeah yeah it's it, it was very cool with the components and i think they did a great job with them Bit number two, theme and immersion. This is a D&D skirmish game. Uh, you're going to get references to all the D&D items you would get in a normal tabletop role-playing game. The immersion comes in when you're planning the attacks with your companions, if you're playing with more than two people. This is where it gets to be fun and you strategize how to move around and make the most efficient plays. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the most efficient plays, I listen and I'm thinking about our play. Yeah. 
So we were playing with uh, Tom and Lana. Yeah. And this is a game where you're supposed to go out and explore and go out and, and fight the enemies and get all the loot and, and get all the I know tests. where you're going with this. We all just spent time just trying to kill each other. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so yeah, we kind of <laughs> threw the immersion part completely out the window and just tried to murder each other over and over again. But you can really play with it and get into the whole fun of sneaking around the enemy camps. They're all huddled around the fire on the ice board that we were playing on. Mm -hmm. And you sneak up on them and do you take that shot from far away? Do you get up closer with the chance of them seeing you? So there's a lot of neat little things you can do with this, with the theme and immersion. What did you think about it? Well, I'm not a D&D player. I've never played a role-playing game outside of Car PG, courtesy of my buddy Adam. <laughs> um, I appreciated that Lana, who was on my team, and Tom, who was on your team, they're D&D players. And they're like, oh, okay, so it's basically uh, – it's Magic Hand or whatever the thing was yes. that could – oh, that's Magic Hand. We know it. And I, when I had a question, I was like, well, wait, what's uh, what's plus uh, DR? You know, and, and I'm coming up with the acronyms – the, uh, the what do they call that? The, the acronyms, the, the letters that represent – like STR yes. is strength, obviously. Mm -hmm. But whenever there was one I didn't understand, they'd be like, oh, that's this. Like they didn't even have to look at the rule book and they could tell me, oh, that just means that whenever you burn, <laughs> you, you're immune to burn. I was like, oh, okay. That would have been great three rounds ago when Scott was yeah. catching me on fire. Um, <laughs> as D&D players – they were sinking their teeth right into it. They loved it. Now, me, the non-D&D player, I was loving the theme. I was absolutely loving the theme. I got my cleric on the board. I got to pick the school of death, right? So I've got cards that are specific to me. The cards have the thematic names. I can see the camps with the enemies on the board. I can see your guys coming in. The items are dropping, and it's like, oh, look at that. Look at the art on that sword. I pick up these, these gauntlets and the sword, and suddenly I don't picture myself as like, okay, I'm this character on this map that needs to score points here and do this objective. No, suddenly I'm this character, and I want to give myself a name because I found these cool gloves and this sword. I thought they did a really cool job with the theme. The immersion, it's as much as you're willing to get into it. Me, I tend yes. to play points. I, I tend to play games looking for points. Like, okay, they want us to play the game. The game is score points. How do we do that? Uh, so the, I am well aware. I thought when you were going to talk about us not getting immersed, I thought you were going to rip on me for being like, and there's Patrick whipping out the calculator. Well, if we go here, we can <laughs> score two points. I tend to do that in games. You know, I, I'm more of the, uh, the we'll say the the mechanical as opposed to mm -hmm. the, the theme guy. But, you know, this one, this one, I thought the theme came through very well. Okay. So complexity. What did you think of the complexity of Trials of Tempest? Well, I think the complexity comes from the amount of stuff you need to play. Now, you touched on this uh, a little bit before. This game is a table hog. So, you have a deck of cards. You have a character mat. You then have your constant items and weapons that you come with. Mm -hmm. Then you have the secondary deck that you put into play after you completed your first run through your deck. You have a ton of discs to place on miniatures, depending on the spells you cast on them. Plus, the table we were playing on needed to be bigger. The basic run of a turn is simple. Yeah. You draw two cards, you read an event, you move your characters, do some actions. Move the monsters, repeat. The extraneous items are where it can be a little murky at times there, with making sure you know what the spells do mm -hmm. and what the keywords are and everything. But it's not really overly complex. This is a nice way for a D&D &D group that doesn't have all their players together 
to get a, a, a little adventure in. Oh, yeah. This is a way for D&D players to invite people in to play D&D and get them into what the whole idea is of role-playing. So it's as complex as you want to make it. Okay. Yeah, mechanically, it's not a complex game. Two actions per turn, and the actions are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, where it can be complex is that it can be overwhelming with the number of pieces. I'm really glad that you're the one that had to learn it and teach it and set it up and tear it down and do all that. I never help you tear down. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> there's a ton. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, I, I got to go uh, get my daughter. I, I did I have gotta to go. I got to go grocery shop. I, oh, oh, I think I hear my wife calling me right now. <sighs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pieces in that box, and I'm really glad that it was your responsibility. I would be overwhelmed, and I would say, oh, it's complex because of that. But really, once you're playing the game, it's just not that complex. You have two actions. Figure out your two actions. Where it might be complex is that, like, there's no way of knowing what's going to happen in between your turns. You can't set up and, and finish your round here knowing that, okay, I'm in a defensive position, and this is all that Scott can do with his wizard to me. No, because you've got seven cards in your hand. I don't know what you're capable of or what your plans are. I just got to roll with the punches. And mm -hmm. then when it's back to me, take my two actions to the best of my ability. Tactical in that regard. Complex? Nah. Let's go to bit number four, the rulebook and the learning curve. Why don't you do the rulebook and I'll take the curve? Okay. So, the rulebook is laid out nicely. Each phase of the game is covered in great detail with a lot of examples. That's a plus. Main thing that I could think of that could be improved upon is the index printed in the rear of the rulebook. It's not in alphabetical order. That would have made things so much easier whenever you're looking for little things that you're unsure of. Okay. Uh, to be able to go through, there's A's, B's, C's, e's. Okay, geez, there is what we want to look for. But it was just kind of like, here's keywords, blah, and they just throw them on a page. So that's a little thing there that I think would have been a lot better in the rule book. Other than that, I mean, it's really laid out nicely. It, it gives you each section exactly what you need to do. Just that index being a little bit more user-friendly would have been a big plus in the rule book. Okay, okay. Well, learning curve was pretty simple. Uh, I had the benefit of a fantastic teach. Thank you, Scott. Aww. It's not a complex game. As I mentioned, you only have to worry about what are my two actions I'm going to take during a turn. Most of the things that you need to interact with are pretty self-explanatory. You do have like your own stats, like your intelligence and your speed. Hey, you don't have to worry about that. Sometimes an event will come up that forces you to make a roll. That's, that's it. I mean, a lot of the things are resolved with a d20. And you just look at your card. Okay, I, I rolled a 15. Oh, man, I just missed on critical, but I did get you for seven. Well, I have defense too. Okay, take five damage. And, yep. you know, that's kind of the complexity of it. Therefore, the the actual learning curve of the game within two rounds, I knew what I was doing. There were some things that came up that I was glad I had a teacher for, like when my deck was empty and, and we hit a certain round, we got to put in the level two cards and upgrade. Now we're playing with power, right? It was nice to have you there to, okay, here's what you do next. That didn't make it any more difficult to play. The learning curve was pretty easy. I think most gamer types are going to have this figured out right away. Let's get into the meat of the game. Well, you kind of touched on it. For me, the meat here is how you cycle your deck. Mm -hmm. Whenever you build your character, you have a certain amount of cards that are labeled one and two. So once you get to the last part of your first level cards... What you do then is you flip over all the cards that are double-sided to two. You then take two cards from your discard pile, add them to your number two pile of cards, so you've leveled up. 
See what I did there? Well done. Now then you have more powerful spells. You have different spells to choose from. Then after that's done, you then put all the cards together and choose eight cards to be your deck to go. So it really gives you a lot of um, a, a lot of ability to customize your character, how you want to play, plus also keeps your opponents kind of off-center. They don't know exactly how you're going to go with things. So it, it really keeps it wide open there so that they get just as surprised as you are whenever you draw those cards. It's like, ah, I got that card I need now. So that was my meat of the game there. What did you think stuck out here? It was tough. It was very tough to determine what is the meat of the game. Obviously, you're trying to score points, but you have three different objectives that are going to be randomly pulled out for any given game. So you don't necessarily know what your objectives are going to be. The obvious thing to say would be score points, pick up items that are worth points, and score objectives. But if you're doing that, you're playing the game wrong. This wants to feel more like a beer and pretzel style game where on your turn, you go with your gut. You enjoy this story. Somebody casts a wall of fire and you're you're sucked into the fire and they pull you into it and then they cast burn on you three times. You get three of those burn rings on you. You just roll with the punches. You enjoy the fact that, wow, that just happened. That was cool. You go and you wreck a camp. You use a, a you use a spell that has an area of effect, and all of the guys in that camp already have one damage. So you cast the spell, and you're going to blow them. Ah, oh, but you roll a one. You know, you meat of the game would be okay. You need to make the best decision, and the best decision would be to do this. And that's not here. You know, because a lot of things are resolved with rolling a d twenty. You kind of got to tell yourself the story of what happened as you go. There's no story to be had. Like the event cards, they they will give a little bit of theme behind each round. You know, things that are happening in this world, in this game. But any given turn, the actual mechanics that you're interacting with, is there something that I can point to and say, oh, yes, this is where where your brain is put to task? Well, no, it's very tactical and it can be random because a lot of things were resolved on a D20. So I'm going to say that the meat of the game is rolling with the punches, enjoying the things that happen, seeing those, those sweet moments where you roll the 20 and you one shot something and groveling in those times where you, you critical fail when you really needed to have that surrounding tornado. You just engulf that whole camp and it just didn't work. It's, it might not be the most meaty game in that regard, but man, it can be fun. But playing off of that, I think that really gets into the whole idea of people that don't play D&D. If you're playing with people that do and people that don't, that kind of gives them that ability to invite you into their world and make you dis, uh, discuss those stories mm -hmm. and make that happen there. And I think that's really a, a great thing. I, I love what you picked there with that. That's really, yeah, really good. It's strange because there isn't one one like point of play. There isn't a, a phase of the game where you make these decisions that are going to give you an upper edge. They're all fun decisions, though. Are you going to be the, uh, the life cleric or the death cleric? You're a wizard. What were your options? I can't remember what it was now. Okay. Well, every character has two options. You ain't winning or losing, and you don't have an upper edge for, you know, based on what you picked, but that's fun. And then you get them on the board, and what two things are you going to play in a turn? Well, I know I want to damage their obelisk. Okay. Well, you have multiple ways of doing it. Pick one that's cool. Do you want to run up to it and bash it with that sweet sword you picked up, or do you want to double tap it with your, with your ranged spell? That's fun. It doesn't always work out, but mm. I did like it. <laughs> Scott, let's move to bit number six, the replayability and variability, where I think this is going to probably score pretty high. What you got? Replayability is definitely there. I'm not sure how many times you would want to go back to the Forge with this one as the base game right out of the, the box and how it sell, tells you to set things up. 
But the variability, now this is where it shines. Mm -hmm. This is basically a sandbox for you to play with. You've got all sorts of events that go on. You have the different quests that you have to go on. So let me get into this whole thing that you were touching on here earlier. Yeah. You have eight classes. So those are eight different ways you can play. You also have eight characters that can be used in those classes. So that will give you different abilities that you can have for each one of those. Mm -hmm. You also get a deck of classes that has two subclasses. So like you said with yours, you have the lore of life or the lore of death. So which way do you want to go with those? So it really gives you this whole ladder to go down to the smallest level as to what you want to do, mm -hmm. how you want to really create your character there. I think I read somewhere that there are like well over a hundred different ways that you can kit out your characters to play this game. Now you add in the big bads and the huge stack of events to go through. This is going to be different every time you play this game. Yeah. It's something that I didn't even really think about here until we just started talking is that I went off of just the rule book and set all the things up where it said on the rule book. You don't have to do that. You can set it up however you want to. You can set up that your characters have to start in the middle and move their way out instead of being on opposite corners of the board. Right, right. You can set up all the minor bad guys all together in different places and make it a whole different thing. You've got so many different ways you can set this up to make it variable to what you want to play. So I think that's really definitely a plus in this. Well, you also, along with that giant stack of uh, events and the items that can draw. Okay, so round two, we had that giant sword uh, that with the life-sucking sword that came down. That thing hit on a mm -hmm. 15 on like an average roll, right? That thing plopped down. Where does it go? And you mentioned you were going to touch on this. I'm stealing your thunder. Okay. So the event card will actually say, generate this in a, in a random location. You roll the red and the blue D20, and there's a chart on the side of your map that shows 1 through 20 red, 1 through 20, the X and the Y axis. So sometimes it might drop right next to somebody. Sometimes it might go right in the middle, and there's going to be a scrum to go get it, right? Uh, that sort of thing, like never mind that you're going to see items coming out of that event deck and, and auras and things happening at different times than you would game to game. They're also going to spawn in different locations. Then you factor in that you have three different objectives. The ways that you're scoring points this round, dude, you can't possibly, you would, if you wanted to play the same game twice, you would have to set it up purposefully to do it that mm -hmm. way because you're, you're never gonna. It's always going to be different. Definitely like, Sandbox Tactical Combat D&D. &D. That was pretty cool. This thing is off the charts on replayability and variability. Now, one thing I want to jump in here real quick mm -hmm. as well, too. Whenever you said about that sword dropping, the other interesting thing about this was the initiative. Now, once again, I don't play RPGs, so right. I don't know if this is something standard in an RPG or how it is. But each turn, you roll for your initiative. But some of the event cards, like the sword there, you have to roll for initiative. So if you have a high initiative, you roll a 17, and you roll a 6 for the initiative for the sword, well, guess what? That sword's not around whenever you're making your moves. It didn't appear yet. Yeah. Yes. I so love it. you're busy running around, you know something's coming, and then you're just sitting there going, do I go down there to get prepared for it? Or what do I do? What do I need to do here? And that's really a, a very cool little thing there as well, too. And once again, 
I come from a non-RPG thing, so I don't know if that's standard in the RPGs or not. Dude, I picked up that sword and started bash with it. It reminded me of... It's like it fell from the sky at Super Smash Brothers, like that hammer, (laughs) and just started bonking with it. That thing was power. Oh my goodness, tons of fun with that. Let's talk downsides. And here's where we got to throw daggers, because this one, again, was generously provided by WizKids. What do you got for downsides, Scott? Well, this is where I think it hurts a little bit. Okay. We've had a lot of good things we said about it. Now, this is my opinion and not a poke at the game. It just seemed to me that it went a little long. Okay. Now, I know there are people that would love this type of game. For me, it just didn't seem to scratch that itch for me at the time. Uh, I've gone through and played this twice, so there's still a lot more to uncover. So, it's something I think with the initial look at it that... It may not have scratched that itch for me, but I'm definitely going to go back to this game and definitely update my thoughts on this. I don't know. It, it The way that we played it is that we kind of went into the whole idea of just getting points. Yeah. You can get the How are we scoring? Points. How are we going to win? So they're getting close to the points. So let's kill the other group. Let's not worry about the monsters or anything like that at all. Let's just kill the other group so they can't get things done. So how we set up the game, how we played the game, that I think may have had a little bit of a negative connotation for me personally in how the game went. Okay. Yeah, my downside, uh, amongst my downsides, one of them was the same thing. It definitely went long. We started after the teach. It was probably 1230 when we were up and running. And uh, I think we called it somewhere around three. I had to get going. Yes. So we were two and a half hours in. We weren't quite finished. So the game plays over 20 rounds. And at the 10th round, the big bad spawns. And the game can end prematurely if someone kills the big bad. Okay. One thing there, I messed up there. Once someone gets 10 points, the big bad comes out. Okay. That answers a lot because part of me was like, man, we, we got we to gotta go 20 rounds with this thing. All right. So we opted to kill each other because as you pick up loot, they're worth points. So if we're each at five points, both teams are at five points and both teams have two points worth of loot. Well, if we kill you, you drop your loot, we pick it up, now it's seven to three. And then you come and kill us and you pick it up, and now it's seven to three your way. So it's it's just basically a timing thing. Who who was the last person to kill the other party? So all right, we're up seven to three. Can we kill this golem now before they can come and steal our our equipment back and kill us? Mm-hmm. And it was pretty easy to deduce that no, it was it was somebody was gonna have to go in and swing at him, take a beating, and die in doing so. Then probably the other party, the other team was going to have to do the same thing. And then the first party would have to go back and finish it off. And there's just no way of knowing who's going to be holding all the loot that's worth all those points by the end of the golem's time on the board. By the time it's actually killed, it went long. I also thought that our setup was a a little awkward in that our three objectives, uh, one of them put obelisks on the board. And they were very near the middle. One of them put Mm -hmm. that siphon energy spot that was right in the middle. So we did have kind of the scrum to the middle in our game, which right. to me in a tactical combat game is like, now nah, you got to give us reason to move around more. Finally, I thought that the the monsters, those encampments, now this was the way that they interacted in our game, so be it, but you could entirely ignore them. Or if you went up and swung at one, you were going to basically awaken the whole nest of them. They basically were decorations on the board in our play. I'll be very mm. interested to see moving forward if they're more relevant. Yeah, yeah. And once again, like I said, this is just after two plays for me, one play for you. And, First impressions. Uh, it's one that's, what's that? First impressions. 
Yes, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where this game goes and how it blossoms for us as well. Well, let's talk bit number eight. Was it fun and who's it for, Scott? Well, this was fun because I'm, as I said, I'm not an RPG player, but this gave me a taste of it and it gave me a way of looking at it. If I did get into it and really kind of explore you can really get into the role-playing aspect of this game here while you're playing with sneaking around and everything, as I said. Now, did I love it? No, not really. Did I hate it? No. But it fell solidly right in the middle. Who's this for? I would think this would be a great expansion for the RPG player. Mm -hmm. You have a huge map to use. You have a game ready to play out of the box. Plus, you have this toolbox to add your normal game nights. So you could use this for your normal nights and say, hey, this is where we're having our adventure now. All these different weeks have led up to this here. Here's where we're going to play it. So it's a great thing to use there. If you don't have everyone together for your RPG night, this is a great mini episode to just play whenever everyone can get together. Scott, I thought this one was fun. I enjoyed my play that I think a lot of the fun, though, came from playing with Lana and Tom and a group that was really like getting together for the first time in a while and having fun with it. Let me put it to yes. you this way. I thought it was fun for the first half. I thought the back half, it started to overstay its welcome. Whenever the Iron Golem came on the board, and it's like, oh my goodness. So we've basically just played a full game. I've experienced everything that I've wanted to experience. Now I'm ready to like final act. Let's get this over with. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is going to be just as long as the first act. We're, we're treading water here at some point. That said, mm -hmm. I did still enjoy it. I will still play it again. Who's it for? Yeah, I'm thinking folks that like a good beer and pretzels game, but they want to stretch it out. Play something that goes a little bit longer, especially if you love the D&D &D theme. You want to build a character, make it your class, find random items, be able to tell a story at the end of the play. I think you're going to really like Trials of Tempest. Dungeons and Dragons, The Trials of Tempest. city of Rowan is surrounded by dangerous monsters. It's up to the citizens to fortify the city, train up warriors, clerics, knights, and mages, and defend Rowan in meeples and monsters. Well, one year ago, Adventures, we delved into the world of meeples and monsters, and we gave our 8-bit breakdown of it, and let's take a look and see where does it stand one year later. Stands on a pedestal for me, Scott. I really like Meeples and Monsters. This is a bag builder a la Orleone, but with Meeples in the bag instead of chips. Uh, I took it to the meetup shortly after we reviewed it, so it's rare that we review a game. And at some point after that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to suggest this. A lot of the games I've played after reviewing, but for me to be the one that says, look, we're doing this. Like yeah. at Brennan's, uh, Brennan's Cabin when I was like, guys, look, we're playing Terracotta Army and Wonderland's War. That's how you know a game stood out for me. I bought it after the fact. I had a copy. Um, I bought another copy after the fact to give to someone. Uh, just just a phenomenal game. It does a lot of things that I like. I like the leveling up. I like that it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's quick. It's variable each time. I think this game's fantastic. What do you think? Have you Have you played it since? I have not played it since. Well. But that doesn't mean that it's not on my mind. Mm -hmm. So 
anytime that I flip through Facebook or Instagram or something like that, and I happen to see a picture of it, I have very fond memories of whenever we played it. And this was one of those ones where we played it and like two days later, we played it again. Yeah. And once again, that's something else that doesn't happen that often, unfortunately. It's just a fun game. I think you really nailed it whenever you said it doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm -hmm. It's a good time. You have that mystery whenever you're reaching in the bag to pull out the meeples as to what you're going to get. It just gives you that fun aspect of like, what's going to happen this turn? Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it's one that I have not played, but it's definitely, definitely still high up in my mind of games I want to get back to the table. One thing to note for sure is when we reviewed it, we had the four, uh, t- the Towers expansion, the 20 tiles, so you have five stacks. Oh, yes. So that's another option that you can do on a turn. That's not in the retail version. That's just in the Kickstarter edition, both of which are pretty easy to get a hold of. So if you're looking to pick up Meeples and Monsters, you want to get the Kickstarter edition because without the Four Towers expansion, that having that one less option, like it really does need that one more option to bring it on home and like, okay, now it's meaty. Now it's got plenty of moving parts. I I think that without it, it, it lacks just a little bit of the oomph. Yes. I think it's a good way of saying it. So one year later, are we recommending Meeples and Monsters? Absolutely. Definitely. It's it's definitely one to check out. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think I'm absolutely recommending it. This one's kind of off the radar. I remember hearing yeah. about it at PAX. Brown was like, yeah, I know I got to check out a preview look at Meeples and Monsters. I was like, oh, I want to find this game. I want to play this game. And uh, you know what? I haven't heard about it. Like, it's not – people are always sharing their pictures on, on like, the Facebook groups. Like, look at yeah. look at us. We played Wingspan again. You know, we do it. <laughs> you know, look at the game that we reviewed. We're always putting up what we reviewed. But us, yeah. you don't see people sharing pictures of Meeples and Monsters. But it is a great game. Most definitely. All right, Scott, back half of this episode, we got Origins coming up. We already talked about what we're excited for, so I thought you and I, we're just going to have a little bit of fun. I put together some some upgrade this versus that, and we're just going to chat about some of the upgrades that we find in board games and which ones stick out, which one's better than the other. So this, it's not like a keep one and ditch the other one forever, but what's your preference? We can chat a little bit, bit about each one, and I want to hear which one you pick for the winner. You ready? All right, that sounds good. All Let's right. go. Number one, laser printed meeples versus realistic resources so laser printed meeples think like think like meeples and monsters right the upgraded version Mm -hmm. with your laser printing and whatnot think root versus realistic resources like the the wood and the iron that come in the deluxe side like their upgraded resources or the berries in everdale what do you think what's the preference laser printed meeples realistic resources i think this definitely lays fully in what type of game it is okay because with Meeples and Monsters, I don't know if I would really want realistic resources or realistic Meeples in that game. Because it's just kind of a light, fun type of game. Mm-hmm. There. But like you said, with Scythe, it, that one there is more of a serious game. So whenever you have the actual realistic looking resources, that adds to the, the game and everything. Okay, it well, really adds to everything there. I guess so Ever- I Everdale's it, not realistic, and yet it's got, you know what I mean, it's it's a fun fantasy like Critters game, and yet it's got realistic resources. But I would be fine with it not being. Oh. Um, definitely whenever it comes to those berries, because those berries just bounce all over the place. <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's something there where I would be fine with just uh, tokens for uh, for Everdell. I think that having the realistic resources ups it a little bit more, makes it a little more fanciful because the artwork in that game is stupendous. Okay, and I think that those realistic things complements the artwork. All right. And like we just said with Meeples and Monsters, I think that the artwork is a little more cartoony. It's not more realistic. So I think if we had realistic figures or anything like that at all, it would be like going to Red Lobster and ordering a hamburger. <laughs> Where it's like those two things don't really go together. It's like you're trying to force them together oh, and it doesn't work. Okay, but that, not just uh, laser printed meeples in Meeples and Monsters. Think any game with laser printed meeples. Think Creature Comforts, think Root. Like if you had to pick one upgrade that you prefer more in your games, laser printed meeples or realistic resources. That's where I'm going. Not any given okay. single game. I think I would have to go with the realistic resources. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> we came full circle. You picked the right answer. <laughs> Number two, Scott, a fancy insert, right? You get yourself a nice new game and you've got the game trays insert. Everything fits mm-hmm. in real nice. There's a, there's a, everything is in its place and there's a place for everything. Okay. Or a dice tower. Uh, the inserts. <laughs> that didn't take long. Not a dice tower I fan? do not care for dice towers at all. Really? Not at all. I do not care for them. I think that it's almost a thing that's added that, sure, it can be kind of cool, but if I had a preference, it's definitely over-the-top good inserts that makes the setup and teardown of a game that much easier. Number three, dice trays, like uh, like in the... the you know, you put roll your dice in those, those little... They, some people mm-hmm. use them to hold Reese. You know what I mean when I say dice trays. Right. Versus the neoprene mat. Dice trays. Dice trays, really? Over the neoprene? Why? Once again, it makes your playing a little more organized. Okay. I like to play the game organized, where if you have a neoprene mat, you could roll the dice on that. It could take a funky bounce and go flying off the table. You don't know. I mean, it's. I, I'm here at my game top right now, and I've got that nice mat on the bottom here. But still, if you roll it, it could hit something weird and just bounce crazily all over the place. I want to be able to just roll things, have everything nice in their own little place there, keep things organized as I play. You know, as a rebel when I played Magic, uh, everybody has their little mat, like a little place mm-hmm. mat, like a like a oh, table yes. mat that they set down and they play their game. I refused to do it. I would show up at tournaments and, and I would I would just not do it. You know why I finally cracked is we were doing Grand Prix Indianapolis in like 2004. And I sit mm-hmm. down and, okay, your shoulder length, like it was packed. This was a big tournament. Shoulder to shoulder, that's your area, right? No. Yeah. So dude on my left folds out his mat and it goes, and then dude on my right folds out his mat. So I've got like four inches of table space. So so I'm like using my hands and like pushing their mats and like purposefully making it like roll up on them. And I was like, this is ridiculous. If I had my mat, we would all be overlapping mats. Uh, I hated it, but I do like them in board games. Dice trays. Okay. Okay. Number yep. four. I'm going to, this one's going to put you on the spot. Car- oh boy. Card sleeves versus table topper. Well, let me change it here. Get it correct here. Game topper, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, that is kind of a tough one there. Yeah, these are two creme de la creme upgrades. Yeah. If you sleeve your cards, you can be- basically play in any cesspool you want to. 
<laughs> but if you have a game topper, you keep it nice and neat, and you don't have to really worry about sleeves that much at all. Mm-hmm. One uh, preserves the longevity of your game. Table topper, a game topper is going to preserve the game is what, you know, I think it's less damage on the cards, but it's more of a deluxifying of the room. Yeah. So we got kind of an apples and oranges, but. Uh, It is, but I have in the past, like eight months, I have become so attached to my game topper. I could not even think about not having it. So I got to go with my game topper. All right. Number five, Plano boxes, which if you don't know what that means, think like plastic jewelry box, like go in Walmart and look at like fishing tackle aisle Plano boxes versus card holders, like what we find in Red Rising, the tray that you can set your cards on so that you can see them all as though you're holding them in your hand. Oh, I got to go with the Plano. Yeah? yeah. I'm gathering you don't care for Plano boxes. No, no, no. I got to go with that because that goes back to my the, – the days gone by when I played with miniatures and we'd go out and get the big tackle boxes to put all our armies in. That was the way to go. And, yeah, I, 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 I just got to go with that there. It just – such a fun thing and everything's right there i still have all my armada stuff in those things and it's just so easy to get the stuff out and play so i definitely gotta go with that you know that one's a layup anyway because i'm sorry those card holder things those suck if you're if you design (laughs) games or you develop games never put that in there they're terrible if it's a tile game like scrabble they're great if it's to hold my hand of cards no it's dumb and they fall over Mm -hmm. that they do number six dual layered player board versus metal coins that's an easy one what very easy okay dual layered player boards no sir yes okay why i mean hey the metal coins they add to the aesthetic it's like having a pen that you just click back and forth click 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 that's all you do with the metal coins you just sit there and play with them with your fingers while you're waiting for your turn yeah you do yes so the dual layer player boards I looked straight on at Terraforming Mars. Uh They should have gone with this from the very start. That's just such a great upgrade so that you don't knock your resources. God forbid you get up and you bump the table. Your game is shot. Yeah, that's true. Having the dual layered boards, it is such an upgrade, such a plus in making that game that much more fun to play. So dual layered playing boards, absolutely. All right, Scott, number seven. This one's going to get tricky. Ambient music, all right? Think like Indiana Jones track while you're playing Fortune mm-hmm. and Glory or Lost Ruins of Arnak, some sort of music. You're playing Nemesis and you have on the, the soundtrack for Alien, right? Whatever the second thing is. Voice narration. Like you're playing a game that requires the use of an app and it is doing the storytelling instead of reading. Uh, good one. Voice we- narration. Okay. Period. So I don't have to uh, elaborate and talk about Forteller no, games. You don't. Or- <laughs> nope, I think okay. that having the music in the background is just going to be too much of a distraction. Doing the voice narration draws you into the game and makes it that much better. So, boom, done. Have you ever played a game with the ambient music in the background? I've played games with music in the background. Yeah, and no, I don't like it. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't say music in the background. Like, yeah, if somebody's playing Bon Jovi, yeah, it's going to throw you off your rocker. I mean, ambient music, like, kind of like a, you know, some people they have on YouTube. You can find like falling asleep music. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. Scott, I'll be looking for music for our flavor reads. Like after our review, we'll do a little bit of flavor. And I got to find mm-hmm. the music for that. So I'll put in like epic adventuring music. And right. most of the tracks will be like three hours fall asleep to. 
The other mm-hmm. day, I, when I punched an adventure, I did it for Guild of Merchant Explorers, and I'm telling you what, that a bunch of them have a D&D symbol, and it's like, this is to be played when you have your group going on an adventure, or in a battle with the worm, you know, whatever it might be. If you need to have music to make the game that much more fun, it's not a game I want to play. Oh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Scott, let's do number eight. We got two more to go. Resin tokens. Okay, so now we're not talking like realistic resources. I'm talking like instead of getting chits, you have either resin or plastic or maybe wooden tokens, some kind of upgraded from cardboard tokens versus upgraded dice. They're not just D6s. They're metal or they're translucent or they're chonky. Upgraded tokens. Okay. Absolutely. I don't need fancy dice. If I want to do that, that's on me to upgrade my personal thing there. If I want to do that, I'm happy with having the uh, upgraded tokens in it. Last one, Scott. The The game bag for carrying your games versus box upgrades. Kind of an apple and oranges thing here. And when I say box upgrades, I'm talking like... The Kickstarters are like, we're going to give it a gloss finish on the words, or they put the sleeve uh, over top of the box, like what we had in Dog Park or some of those games. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's got that little like sleeve that encases the box, a way to yeah. make the box grab the gamer's attention more. What upgrade? What upgrade to your gaming do you like more? Game bag or fancy box upgrade? Absolutely the game bag. If I need a box upgrade to make me want to play that game more, then that's not a game I want to play. It should grab me from just the basic box as it is. And also, whenever you have your game bag and you take it, everywhere that you go, everyone's going to be going, oh my God, Scott's here with all the fun. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'll give you a layup to finish. Game upgrades, man, they're, they're such a part of, of what we love in the hobby and ways to make games more engaging, yes. more exciting. I thought that was a, a fun little fun little practice. That it most certainly was. All right, adventurers. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode. And yeah, this one was kind of a timey-wimey one where we're talking before something happened, but you're listening to it after something happened. So make up your own paradox as to how we just screwed up with the the, the time-space continuum here. Yeah, my but, originally my level up was, hey, I'm on my way to Origins when this episode goes live. And uh, that's not true. That was no, last no, week. you'd that was be a week, a week late. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, like we always do, we always like to end the episode with how we leveled up since the last time we talked. So... Patrick, I'm going to give it to you first. Excellent. How did you level up? One week ago today, I was on the way to Origins. I had a great time. We won our game of Omicron Protocol against Will. And Teacher Ryan bought me lunch and breakfast. And Scott gave me the hotel room for free. So that is my (laughs) level up. Scott, what you got? (laughs) Well, mine actually is a little bit further back because I forgot about this whenever I talked about it last time. I helped out my cousin at uh, the Three Rivers Comic Con yeah, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And whenever wandering around, there are certain comics that I like to get every time I go out. Mm-hmm. And I will buy the same issue over and over and over again. What are some of your uh, jams? It doesn't matter. Yeah, you got to elaborate. What are some of your jams? What are the comics that you target? Well, hey, that's what I'm getting to here. Oh. What ooh. it was, was I found the one issue I needed left to complete my entire run of Rom the Space Knight, which I absolutely adore that whole 75 issue run with the annuals, the extra ones where he shows up in different uh, comics with the Hulk and different things like that. 
absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm a sucker for those kind of games. So ROM, I will buy any ROM comic I can find. Micronauts, I will buy any Micronaut comic I can find. Shogun Warriors, all these things in from the 70s are based on these toy lines that a lot of people look at and it's like, oh, this is probably going to be really, really stupid. No, they were freaking awesome. Those are the comics I always get and always pick up copy whenever I can find them. Hey, adventurers, thank you so much for tuning into this episode 98 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by teacher Ryan. We're going to be doing all about origins, all the wrap up from all the shenanigans that went down. Scott, you get the last word. All right. Well, we're still going with the whole toast thing here. I like this one here. Yeah, because it's easy for you. You just Google toasts. I know, and I'm learning so many toasts. Have it's you, awesome. Have you ever had Thai toast at like a Thai restaurant? It's like a donut. No. Oh, I'm going to get you some Thai toast. Go ahead. Okay, okay. I'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea. Good night, adventurers. Good night, all. Thank you, adventurer, for listening to this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Check your show notes for links to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Plus, join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in the hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.